everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. This episode is called Before Daylight, which is mentioned once. This episode should be called Before the Heat Wave because it's 90 degrees in Los Angeles right now. And I feel bad saying that because I know some parts are, are probably very cold right now and rainy. Yeah, it was 99 degrees here two days ago. But that's not, it's not right to be that hot. No, it's, it's not wrong. natural. Also, no. this episode is brought to It's like to sitting you on the sun. By Coors it's not, Light. It's not, it's not brought to you. I can't see what you're drinking. That's Katie's Monster Energy drink. Oh. Because we're trying to record in the morning when it's yeah. cool. And <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm awake, though. I feel great. Hmm. We did our live chat for our Patreons yesterday, our first YouTube live chat. I misspoke and said that I thought Christopher Watts was innocent. Um, and I feel really embarrassed about that. I meant Christopher Wright. Oh, my goodness. Fun. And we talked makeup and we talked true crime and we talked dogs and we talked 90 Day Fiance and we talked uh, we talked about everything. Why didn't I catch that, by the way? But <laughs> then, like, the one serious question we got, I totally doofed it up. I think so. we also didn't actually answer people's questions the way they wanted. So next time we'll be, this was a test run. Next time we'll yeah, be we we had like serious, no, like serious. We had um very hard time paying attention because the questions were going fast and then Katie would answer one and then I never answered the question and then we would just move on. And it was like, Kimberly never answered. We're going to get better. And I apologize. I feel like I talked over you and guys, no, you I'm didn't sorry. At all. I know you I wanted to hear over you. Kimberly's answers to the questions. This is the same way. I would answer a question and then not let you answer the question because I was reading the comments. That's yeah. True. It was a little bit like squirrel all the time. And I have never seen myself move in and out of frame so much. So sorry. It's we're get we'll get there. The cats made an appearance. Our moms made an appearance. It was fun. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um so this episode, Before Daylight, April 24th, 2020, dead set in the quarantine. I keep saying quarantine and two people have now yelled at me because apparently you're supposed to say self-isolation and quarantine is only if you've been infected. Everyone is saying quarantine, okay? It is- Who says self? I've never heard self-isolation. Where are I've you? been corrected multiple times. Two, two people have said stop making jokes and saying quarantine because it's actually self-isolation. Quarantine is if you're infected. On every single person that I see on TV is calling it quarantine. I think it's it's okay. It's mis sure it's misinformation. It's fine. This this isn't a situation. Don't get your medical I, advice from us. So the, this is a situation where I want to say calm down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, season twenty three, episode twenty seven, Arlene King hosted. I just found out from listening to Mank. He did like a little chat with um, a school that someone sent me. He talked to their class and um, they want us to talk to. <laughs> um, about what? About being in school? About stay in school kids? Stay, stay in school kids. Or you'll wind up be, uh, having a mid-level podcast. Um, <laughs> no, we were both graduated. We didn't drop out. <laughs> so maybe it should be drop out or you will wind up on a mid-level podcast. So maybe think real hard if you're going for a BFA. Yeah. really think about it. <laughs> is it worth it? Yeah. Um, but what I was, what I see, this is like where it comes in, where I don't finish my thoughts. Mank was saying that they probably only have enough stuff to put together a week or two more of episodes, and then it'll be repeats. So 
we're going to have to start figuring out. I'm going to have to dive into my list of suggestions. And I have a mini list, which probably has dupes on your list, so it probably doesn't matter. But what about, hmm, this might be the time to have, uh, try to get the hosts. Yeah, we can ask them. Yeah, we should try. Guys, send a note to your local Dateline host. Tell them to come on our show. (laughs) We could just reach out ourselves. Yeah, but maybe pressure. Maybe I'm shy. um, So this takes place in Columbia, Missouri, 2004. So it's a while ago. Um, Detective John Short got paged to the scene of a murder with pagers, which I thought was funny. Um, A young guy is found stabbed in the neck. Now, far away in Kentucky, a mom, Linda Valencia, was worried because she hadn't heard from her son, Jesse. Now, this is part is insane. When Jesse was seven years old, he sat his mom down and said, Mom, I'm going to die at a young age. I would freak out. I would think my child is possessed or talking to spirits um, or could see the future. This is I the would point. try to monetize and get him a show on E! where he reads <laughs> celebrities' futures. Oh, there you no, go. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I might. What would you think? Seriously. Um, no, I. So having seen Hereditary. Um, oh, yeah. I have to see Hereditary. So if you've seen Hereditary, um, and I'm sorry if that triggered anyone, that sound, um, I think. It sounds like the sound from The Grudge. Oh, no, The Grudge is. Uh... Uh... Uh, now we just triggered everyone again. I'm sorry about all of this. It's it's early. It's fine. Um, I think. I would probably think that there was a demon inside them. Yeah. But I'm also, I usually go straight to, well, yeah. this is Satan. So yeah. that's my go-to. And certain kids have a creepy vibe to them. And that's a creepy thing to say. And his face is adorable. So that makes it creepier. Yeah. He's like a real cute little kid. Yeah, like Danny from Red Rum. Oh, you think Danny was a cute little kid? I think Danny was kind of a weird looking little kid. Really? <laughs> There's one episode, if someone remembers, there's one episode, I believe it was the hockey player who killed his wife, but they had a daughter that this beautiful little girl, like blonde, gorgeous, like JonBenet Ramsey, but a little cuter. And, um, oh, boy. and there was a photo that they kept showing on in B-roll and she was looking straight at the camera with this death stare. Um, and I kept joking that she was maybe the murderer because she was she was wearing this giant flowered headpiece that her mom put her in. And I was like, yes, she's right. pissed. <laughs> she killed everybody. Yeah. Um, I like all of your children, though. All of your children out there are perfect. All of your children are not going to kill anyone. No. But so Jesse had said when he was seven, he was going to die young. And now he was dead at 23. So that's in oh that's God. crazy. But a little outside info. Should I give you? Should I just yes. jump to that? I, I would like it. Okay, because this is fascinating. Dateline producer tweeted about it. Jesse, when he was 16, almost died in a horrible car accident. He was in a coma for several days, but miraculously he survived. His mother thought that that was his brush with death. So she thought like he she kind of believed that he might die young, but then he survived this. And she's like, okay, he's safe now. Oh, my gosh. She told the producers that it made the news of his murder even more devastating because she had thought, like, he was safe now. That honestly makes my stomach hurt. Is that not insane? No, that's ter- That's so sad. I Isn't can imagine terrible? being a mom and being like, oh, that's it. 
he made it through. Yeah. And then, no. Yeah. Um, oh, that's heartbreaking. I'm sorry. Jesse, I know. Jesse was outgoing and fun. He had a ton of friends. There's this friend right away, this girlfriend, who you can tell before they even say it that she's totally in love with him and he's not into her. And you could just tell, like, and I felt for her. I was like, I'm that girl because Jesse is gay. And I, how much, I mean, we've all fallen for a cute gay guy who doesn't love us back. It's so tragic. Oh, um, yeah. Hi, Dario. <laughs> Dario. Dario is hot. Dario um, is someone we went to college with who's just devastatingly handsome. And I was just convinced that we might be together forever. I was wrong. <laughs> so, um, he, oh, he, Jesse would call this friend um, in the at like one in the morning and ask her to sing to him. And I thought that was really sweet, but she would do it because she's in love with him. Oh, you felt like that girl? Oh, I thought you meant the other one with the graffiti under the bridge. No, I meant the other girl. Yeah. Oh, I did not get, I actually did not get that Dateline from her. says that she's in love with him. Dateline tells us she was in love with him and like he wasn't, he was gay. That's true. I am going to say I loved that friend. I love the musical theater friends. Yeah. I'm all about it. Jesse didn't have a long list of um, enemies, but a long list of lovers. Yeah. Now, so we're going to get the L word. Also, almost a Taylor Swift song. Got a long list of ex-lovers. And, okay. Did you just sidetrack yourself with Taylor Swift? I did a little. Sometimes (laughs) my mind just goes to a really happy place. Um, There's this crime author who's in the beginning of the episode and then the end of the episode, and she becomes very important. Did you think that in the beginning of the episode when we meet the crime author, did you think that she was going to be important later? I thought she was a one-off. I wrote her off. Yeah, I didn't even write down I thought she notes. was going to just come in as like, oh, I'm writing a book about it, so let me give my generic, I've done some research on the story. And I thought that was the end we would see of her. I was shocked when she comes back later. So that should tell you also, this is a very twisty tale. And it's a it's an incredible story. Yeah. So she her name I thought was Mary. It's yeah. Barry. Her name's B-A- her name's Mary. No, Barry. No. Nope. Um yes, I'm positive. I Googled her. Barry, Barry like B-E-R-R-Y, like her like a raspberry. Barry Bumgardner. B-A-R-R-I. Bum B-U-M. Like my bum. I, I heard heard the heard the name. Bumgardner. Um, you shan't forget it. No, I've never heard a Barry as a woman. B a r r i. Is it a pseudonym? Is that a I real don't know. name? I kind of like it though. Well, it's funny that Barry, which is berries, would grow in a garden, and then garden is in her last name. It also sounds mildly British. Barry Bumgardner. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, He's the so local she... grocer. <laughs> Except she's a crime writer in. America, which makes it kind of cool. All right, good job, Barry. Go, she, go you. So she's on Dateline. She, I have thoughts about her later. I didn't have thoughts at the beginning, but then I have thoughts. Oh Lord! All right. Because I think she's twisting things in her mind a little. I think she's. Oh, are we gonna disagree on this one? We might disagree on this one. Ah, oh, darn it. Okay. Um, so at around four in the morning, Jesse's friend. I'm sorry, Jesse's neighbor heard an argument. The neighbor is on the no- local news, like. It was so casual, but he's like, someone was bumping around like, uh, stop it. What? Like, and like bumping himself into the wall and stuff on yeah. the local news saying like the commotion that he heard. And then someone else in the neighborhood um, had seen a young guy walking barefoot and crying. 
near what turns out to be the crime scene, which isn't discovered till the next day. But they, that person is very mysterious. But they don't know if that is Jesse or not. They, or they don't, think it's definitely no. Not they think Jessie. it's someone else. They think it's maybe someone after, like someone witnessed something or committed something to Jesse and then was uh, crying see. about it. Um, because Jesse, it looked like fled from his house from the attacker and then was killed. So I don't think he was walking around crying. But what time are we seeing the crying? Um, I believe it was like after four. Sorry, I'm going to solve this case is what I'm getting to. This case is nuts. So Jesse was a junior at Mizzou, which is the University of Missouri. And Keith says it with such relish. Yeah, Mizzou. Um, And it's not Old Miss. No, um, Jesse loved to go dancing at clubs and drag shows. I thought of you because you love drag shows. I do. Um, and that club is apparently legendary, Dateline producer said, for the it's drag cool. shows. And they it, had a great time shooting there. Um, and there are some great drag queens from Missouri. So that is oh. very fun. So Jesse had had, he did, he done the business the night before with a guy named Ed. Ed's very important. And they had gone to a party the night that Jesse was murdered. Now, when they bring Ed in, he's crying and he's scared. He seems very gentle. I don't know if that's real or not. Katie's mm. suspicious that the police get the impression that he is very like delicate. And they say he has he's not strong emotionally, which cracked me up and made me think of Michelle Babes with coffee, who says she doesn't have a strong personality. Yeah. Like, so basically, they're saying he's an emotional wreck. And um, it was a knife that killed Jesse. And Ed is a chef and apparently has a big bag, big old bag of knives. What chef has a bag of knives? That's not how you keep knives. I'm sorry. Is that a question? Yes, Kimberly. They have a bag of knives. It's a it's a knife roll. Yeah, that's not a bag. It is in a bag. Technically, it is a bag. It's just a rolled up bag. I'm picturing literally a Ziploc bag just filled with knives. That's, just like a Walmart plastic bag. Yeah, it's gonna dull them and cut. It's cut through the bag. No man. Um, I hope it was a roll. It's a roll. It's a knife roll. He has a knife. They need to stop calling it a bag. So oh, okay, I'll make a call. Thank you. Um, he could he be our crying youngish man? We don't know. So because he's crying now. Ed's roommate, Eric, had a shady past and didn't like Jesse and said to the police, I wouldn't care if he was dead. And I could kill anybody. I don't care. These are not things to say. That was the roommate said that? Eric said that? Eric said that. Eric is a douchebag. But why does he hate Jesse so much if his roommate, maybe his friends with benefits, Ed, were Ed and Eric friends with benefits? I don't know. Was Eric jealous that Ed had just met this guy, Jesse, two days before and started sleeping with him because he wanted to be with Ed. Was Eric also gay? Don't Do know. We, know. we don't know if Eric I can't think gay. of another reason why he would hate Jesse so much after just meeting him two days before when his roommate started sleeping with him. Is Eric not gay? Is that why he had problems with... Oh, like he's homophobic. But then he would hate his roommate too. Not home. Oh, I'm sorry. He just hated Ed. No, he hates Jesse. Right, Jesse's his roommate. Eric is the roommate. No, Ed's Eric is Ed's roommate. That's where I'm getting confused. I see. Who was who was um Jesse's roommate? I don't think Jesse had a roommate. Okay. Yeah. That's where I'm getting confused. Okay, I wrote that down completely wrong. All right, I, I see. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so though. But I could be. I always yeah, am. Maybe he kind of had a problem with Ed too. 
And so byproduct is he really didn't like. Um, Jesse Maybe also- they were like having sex and it was really loud and it was annoying. And I've had that happen with roommates. I'm looking at you, Katie. No, I'm not. I'm looking at our other friend that I lived with. <laughs> and her friends came to visit and had sex in the bathroom right next to my bedroom. And it was annoying. If you had not described that, it sounded like you were the offender. Oh, no, I was not the offender. So it was funny. I was going to try to let it hang there like it had been you. Um, so I think I think there's a possibility that either Eric maybe was in love with Ed and was frustrated that he was it was unrequited love mm-hmm. or that Jesse is described as being kind of loud and boisterous and bright. Yeah multiple times. Um, we do get a loved life. Everyone, we get like the supreme love life. Everyone knows this, right? So yeah. mark it off your bingo cards. Um, but is it possible that he was just too boisterous for him? Yeah, that's that, possible. Like, you know, Eric's sort of a toned down guy and was like, oh, this guy's too much drama. Um, so there's a third suspect named Zev, who is, wait for it, a rabbi's son. So excited to get my Jews in there. I wouldn't be. This is he does not end up looking so hot in this. He yeah, he doesn't. Um, So Jesse jokingly called Zev his boy toy. But Zev says he wasn't gay and he and Jesse were just good friends. And Zev lived at home with his parents and he was home all night. But he had tried to call Jesse several times. They give him a voice stress test and he fails. So that's not great. That's not admissible in court. It just doesn't make him look that great. Zev is also very handsome. I don't know why it should be noted, but I'm noting it. Zev, to me, looked like a George Michael in the Faith era. Like that super hot. He has a hoop earring and he has a ton of stubble. What about young George Clooney mixed with George Michael? He's a very good looking kid. Yeah, a lot of people thought Eric was super hot, though. They're all kind of good looking. Is this just what happens in the Midwest? Just all these boys are just sort of like maybe dark haired and handsome. It's very interesting. Um, but I mean, Jesse's a handsome kid. They're all like just attractive. OK, so Zeb, he's an interesting one for me. And, and I'm going to tell you what I wrote down for him. I wrote he did it. Oh, yeah. The minute I, he came on, I was like, oh, he did it. Some people thought that a lot of people. I have a, actually a theory that involves him, an alternate theory for this case. I really do. I think it might match mine. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I don't think it does. I think we, I think we disagree. We'll see. Uh, okay. okay. So Patrick Rogers, another friend, but he's not a suspect. He lived at another school um, and he was chat buddies with Jesse. They would just like chat all the time and they were good friends. Um, and I you loved and I Patrick. Would be totally friends with Patrick. I wrote down Kimberly and my best friend. I wrote, I'm obsessed with Patrick and his big collared shirt under a sweater. I want him to be my gay chat friend. And if Patrick does not already have a YouTube channel, I'm going to expect one in the near future because I want you to go on and talk about drag race drama. Yeah. That would be great for me. Um, He didn't get enough screen time in this. I would have enjoyed more of him. Yeah, I know. I liked him. He was a good interview, too. He was great. He was organized. He didn't get B-roll either. We're going to talk about B-roll, by the way, guys. I know it's the elephant in the room. We're going to talk about it. Just you wait. Just you wait. And I feel so Alexander bad. Alexander Hamilton, Hamilton, just you wait. Okay. Wow. Um, and I also shut it down in our live stream yesterday when somebody actually asked about this. And I did come to realize after the fact, I'm sorry to whoever I shut it down on, because probably people were expecting us to come on our chat and talk a little more about Dateline. Yeah, we didn't talk that much about Dateline. 
but we will talk about the B-roll. He should have gotten B-roll. He should have gotten a dramatic spotlight moment. Yeah, the one where like things light up. I would have liked yeah. that. So all of his chats are saved in his computer. And mm -hmm. in the chats, Jesse had revealed a secret, a secret lover. Secret lover. Yeah. Now, Jesse's mom also knew about the secret lover two months before the murder. Mm -hmm. Jesse had called his mom at 2 a.m. Because this, they have this relationship where he calls and gossips to her about all the guys he's sleeping with. And, and the mom is like, uh, it's a little more than sometimes I want to know. Hates slash loves it. Yeah, she does. She's like, I love that he confines in me, but sometimes it's too much. So they're a best friend, mom and son. Yeah. So he calls her at 2 a.m. two months before the murder and says, I was at a party and the cops came and I was running my mouth. And the cop said, don't open your mouth again or I'll arrest you. And Jesse said, do what you have to do. It's <laughs> so funny. Like, these are just young boys causing trouble and being rambunctious. And Jesse was outspoken, maybe too much for his own good. And his mom said he was always like that. So he was arrested. Yeah. The next day, that cop shows up on Jesse's doorstep. The next night, I'm sorry. Uh -oh. And that started a secret affair. It was, as Keith says, personal and intimate Oh, boy. So, oh, Jesse didn't tell Patrick or his mom the cop's name. He only called him Columbia's finest. I kind of like that. He yeah. loved it. Loved mm -hmm. it. The cop would stop by when he was on duty for a booty call. It was an on-duty booty. Booty duty. Yeah, booty duty. Okay. Now, that sounds like pooping. Booty duty from a good Judy. Good Judy is like a gay man's good friend. Oh, Okay. So the cop was very secretive and Jesse finds out it's because he's married and has a child. Uh -huh. Jesse tried to cut it off because he thought it was wrong. He told Patrick he wasn't going to be someone's other woman. Um, also wow. find that delightful. And Patrick takes these chats to the cops. So Keith asked Detective Short, who's in charge, what was your first thought when you find out a cop was having an affair with the victim? <laughs> and the detective says, we have to get this right. And Keith goes, that was your second thought. Your first thought was, and he's trying, he's leading the cop. He wants the cop to say like, what the F or we are F'd. Or O-S. Oh, sweet, I'm, sweet yeah. flying F. F, yeah. And he's not getting it. And no. it's hilarious. But the cop, what does he say? But the cop does say, oh my God. Oh my God, yeah. But I but I was expecting, I was expecting an F-bomb, for sure. I was expecting, an, yeah, a bleep, for sure. Yeah. Um, and Keith is already dropping F-bombs all over the place this season. So he was yeah. waiting for it. So yeah. a cop, I mean, a friend, there's a friend of Jesse named Andy. This is another guy he was sleeping with named um, Andy who had seen the cop up close. And we find out just how up close he had seen the cop. Mm. So Andy and Jesse were in bed one night and the cop stopped by unannounced and tried to get them to have a threesome. And Andy wasn't into it, but Jesse and the cop had sex anyway in front of Andy. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, the cop said, you don't talk about this to anybody and left. Was it in front of or did he go in the other room? We don't know. So they show Andy a photo book of all the cops. And he says, I don't need to look at the photos. I've just passed the cop in the hallway. That was amazing. I got shivers. Yeah, that story was crazy. Because he's just like flipping through it, not He's out caring. there in the hallway. I just passed and him. And he's like, 
Yeah, I've already seen him. Yeah. Oh. So the cop is Steven Rios. He's a young guy on the force. Um, and for some reason, I kept hearing Kristen Cavallari saying, Steven, um, like she did on Laguna Beach. I'm sorry. Steven. It's more serious than that. It's much um, more serious. I know. I'm sorry. Um, that was vocal fry, though. She has the vocal fry, right? She started the vocal fry. No, Kim started the vocal fry. So he had a wife and a new baby at home and a side piece in Jesse. And I was like, him? I mean, he's tall, but he's not but that first good of all, looking. His wife is one of the prettiest people I've seen on Dateline in a minute. She's, she is she's quite pretty. Beautiful. Just really beautiful, like big, bright eyes. She's great and a great interview and gets some good B-roll. Yeah. The wife does, Libby. Yeah, I have thoughts about Libby. I loved her ponytail. Um, yeah, I think we might disagree. I'm giving you the angry eagle face, so I'm. I think we might. I was I was team Libby for a long time, and then I flipped at the end. Okay, we'll see. So Stephen had also identified the body for the other cops at the scene. Like when he was at the scene, he said, "I know that guy." He didn't say I slept with him. He just said, "I I arrested that guy a couple months ago. The, his name is Jesse." And then he volunteered to guard Jesse's murder scene, like injecting himself right there where he could tamper with the scene or anything. And he should have, knowing that he was sleeping with Jesse, stepped away immediately and been like, I can't. Obviously, it's a conflict of interest. So he volunteered to do it. He volunteered to guard the body. Okay. Does that change your mind at all? Um, It's so inappropriate. Yeah, it's not great. I think that. This could go either way, though. We'll come back to it. Okay, so Stephen, um, the detective talks to Stephen, who lies, of course, and says, oh, I just arrested him. I didn't really know him. And the cop says, we heard there was a relationship. And Stephen says, sex? Which is not what you say if someone says, I, it, I heard there was a relationship. Wouldn't you think, like, oh, we're friends? You heard we were friends? Like, No, I would not think that. If you were straight, a straight married man and someone said, oh, I heard there was a relationship with this other guy. You would no, think sex. I would say sex. I would say, wait, what sex? It, no, you're OK. So you're a girl. You're married. Yeah. And I say, oh, I heard you had I heard there was a relationship with Sarah. You mean like a sexual relationship? Oh, you would say that. I would, I would just that. be like, no, I didn't even know her. I would say that because okay. relationship to me is leading. It seems like get to the point. You mean like a sexual relationship? Regardless, he caves and he starts crying. So now we have our second crying man. Could he be the crying man? So he says they had sex once. No. They had sex many times. He's too tall to be the crying man. I don't know. We don't get a And he's shoeless. The crying man is shoeless in the street. It's true. We don't. It's very confusing. So Stephen was on shift the night of the murder until 3 a.m. And then he joined the other cops on the roof for of the station for a beer which is apparently a thing that cops do which i found delightful at 3 a.m how fun is that i would go home i would be tired yeah but they wound down by having beers on the top of the roof it's so funny that's fun and then they drove home like what's happening oh yeah that is true (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute so no one's getting in trouble for is that. There a, is there a designated driver here? Um, so he let himself into the cop, the station at 437. So his like key card was at 437. After that, he says he went back up to the roof until 5 a.m. Then he drove home and he says, ask my wife. 
So the wife, Libby, in the ponytail, she has um, a, it's not a live, laugh, love sign on the wall. It's a family, and the family is written in cursive, and it makes the infinity sign. And they do a close-up on it, which was full-on was that shade. Yeah, that's true. The editors, like, they just close-up just on that for a full beat. And you're like, ouch, that's gotta hurt. But we find out where Libby is later. So it, it makes a little more sense later. But at that moment, 100%. Yeah. So Libby tells the cops that the baby woke her up. They have this newborn at 5.15, the night of the murder. And she's heating up a bottle when her husband walks in. So it's How about she 5.15. she remember this? Because uh, apparently moms, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they look at the clock to kind of know when their baby has food. How are you remembering what day it is when you're a new mom? Well, they I mean, asked I've, her only a couple days after, probably, or maybe a day after. I don't know I'm, how fast this went. I'm assuming this is moving very quickly. I'm assuming this is moving within days. So, yeah, maybe she would remember Tuesday. Yeah, and he came back really late that night. So they search Stephen and Libby's house, nothing. He has no injuries on him. He takes a voice stress test and passes. Mm -hmm. So the wife thinks it's over, but she says, I had no idea what was coming. And Keith said, no, she certainly did not. Katie, do you know what's coming? No, you certainly do not. It's an ad for Skylight. Oh. I bet you didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming, but I do love a Skylight frame. Do you know what makes the perfect gift for a mom or any loved one? A better decoration than a family infinity sign that will later make a mockery of your life as it all falls apart. Moms are so hard to shop for. This year, I'm giving Joni the skylight frame. I gave a skylight frame to my brother last year for Hanukkah, and he loved it. And you know now Joni needs one because Joni misses her little darling dumpling donut, Kimberly. That's one of my many nicknames. She doesn't get to see me like she wants to. So the skylight frame is perfect. It's a touchscreen photo frame that you can email photos to, and they appear in seconds. And you can also preload it with photos, even like old family photos that you find. Yeah. And new, like that they haven't seen in a long time mm -hmm. and new photos that they've never seen before. You can preload it all. So when she opens it, it's like heaven for them. Yeah. And um, also multiple people, my brother and my cousins and my aunt, they can all email photos to the frame and the whole family can connect that way. It sets up in under 60 seconds. It connects to your wireless. I think even Bob and Joni can figure it out. It's pretty simple. It's very simple. Yeah. And it's a beautiful black frame with the sleek 10 inch touchscreen. And you yeah. can swipe through the photos with your finger and you can even tap a photo to send like a like a thank you to the person who sent you the photo, which I think is really cute. It's really cute. Yeah. And it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love it, if you don't win your best child of the year award on Mother's Day, you can get a full refund. There was one Facebook review that says, in this isolating time, this gives my grandma a little glimpse of us every day. And then we talk on the phone and she can talk to the boys about the pictures we sent. And then Kimberly starts crying because that's just so precious. It's so sweet. Yeah. So now as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash date and enter code date. That's $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame by going to skylightframe.com forward slash date and enter code date. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash date. Thank you, Skylight. 
Let the skylight in. Let, Let the, the skylight sky in. And make your mom cry. Tears of joy. That was good. Mark, Katie, and Kimberly. TM. Mark, to TM. So the next day, the affair between Steve Venn and Jesse is all over. It's annoying. I know. Mm-mm. I know it's annoying. Um, is all over the local news. And I, it's really horrible for Libby. Like, I really do feel bad for her. Even though I'm really so jealous of her ponytail. I don't know how she got it like that. It's, like, not tight pulled back so you don't look like you're a young military man in the colonial times. It's like... Um, <laughs> it's like up high and this part still has volume and there's volume underneath the ponytail yeah it's called a rat tail comb kimberly get yeah i don't want to do that to my hair though it's frizzy enough yeah but it's underneath it so you can't really see it you're just teasing the underneath part. okay okay we'll do a tutorial okay so steven admits to libby yes it's true i was sleeping with this guy and libby is only 21 years old at the time and had just had this baby and now everyone in the town knows what's happening in her family. So it's horrible. Steven takes a temporary leave of absence and the police say, okay, but we're still looking at you. So like, kind of like, don't go too don't, far. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go to Hawaii. He leaves town and goes to a Walmart near the airport and buys a gun and then calls Libby and threatens to kill himself. So the police somehow coax him home and they put him in a mental health facility. Now, the cops in the middle of the um, the night that murder, the ones that were on the roof with him, they say he left a lot earlier. Like he maybe left after he clocked in at 437 and didn't come back and hang out with them on the roof. So the question of the episode is, did he have time to kill Jesse? So Dateline is going to do a test run or a post-crime run or something. It reminds me of in Serial. When Sarah Koenig, they're doing like the time run to the Best Buy parking lot and all that stuff, driving all around town. Um, So Keith is driving his rental car and he's talking to the camera. Keith is driving the speed limit and stopping for stoplights during this test run. And telling us this. What car is he in? Rental. I saw the tags on the keys. So I think it's rental. Because doesn't Keith have a nice car? Didn't uh, Keith lean's on? Things that Emily told us. Yeah, that he that he has a nice car. It's Can't like a Porsche or something. Porsche or something, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, he's driving the speed limit and stopping at lights, which I don't think Stephen would do at four or five in the morning on these deserted roads, but it's unclear. So I think it. I think he would be going faster than the speed limit. Okay. At least, I'll... even if he was stopping at stoplights. Interesting you point. That? I will concede that, yes. Thank you. That he would probably not stop at stoplights. Thank stop you, counselor. Uh, so um it would leave the time they figured out it would leave him 20 to 25 minutes to attack jesse he chases him like 200 yards and then kills him and so there the question is is that enough time to me it sounds like enough time even a minute is like really a long time when you're just waiting a minute you know um okay so and it only takes someone well we'll get to that part so the detective says it's enough time if he got home at 5.30. And Keith says, 5.25? And the Keith's, and the detective says, yes. And then Keith goes, 5.20? Like, he's being like a cheeky little kid bargaining with his mom. Like, can I stay up till 8? How about 8.05? <laughs> he is a little bit. 8.10? So in the chats to Patrick, 
Jesse had told him that he was going to out Steve to the police chief that mm-hmm. they were having this affair. So that's that's the motive, basically. Then Stephen breaks out of the mental health facility somehow. Not sure oh how he was. He was under watch. Don't know how this happens. And he finds himself on a ledge threatening to jump in front of the, all the local news. So he's going to kill himself again. But we've seen this before. We've seen this on another dateline where a guy kept threatening to kill himself and like leaving notes and stuff. And I was like, I don't think he was going to actually kill himself. He was, I don't know. You didn't? No, not that one guy who left like a, who kept saying he was going to kill himself and leaving notes and stuff. I thought he was. You thought Stephen was going to kill himself? I think he really wanted to. I think he didn't have it in him. I think that, remember, it's this sort of thing that you either can or you can't, right? Right, yeah. I don't think, I think he was partially in torture because he couldn't. I think he really wanted to, but I think he couldn't take that step. So they talk him down Yeah. from the ledge. Yeah. And Keith is saying, did you guys have blinders on? Were you only looking at him? And the detective says, no, we, we talked to Ed a bunch of times. He's the one who was crying. Yeah but he doesn't have a strong personality like Michelle Babes with coffee. Uh, The tough guy, Eric, he has an alibi. And Zev, the rabbi's son who fails the voice test, they don't think he has a motive. And they show the witness who saw the crying young man at the scene that night. And he says he's not sure who that is, if it's Zev or not. He can't say one way or another. We'll get to that. So now Stephen is being held in another mental health facility. I hope he's better guarded this time. And Libby calls it quits. Good for her. She sells the house. She moves. She's divorcing him. It's very sad the way she describes it. Because Keith says, he says, yeah, you packed it up like someone died. She said, yes, exactly. Like someone had died. Yeah. Just like her marriage is dead. At 21. Also, Libby keeps referring to this as an affair. And she does it multiple times through the episode. Um, I don't think your husband sleeping with a young gay man in Missouri is a normal affair. I think that people are probably pretty harsh, if I had to guess. I'm sure. This is not great. No, I'm sure it was horrible. Yeah, she does try to dismiss it kind of and say, like, people have affairs. Yeah, but... But also, as cops in uniform on duty, pursuing (sighs) young college men. Yeah, that's not great. Different. Then borderline predatory. It's borderline predatory, and yeah. he is in a position of power. Right. And so we are in trouble. Yeah. It's it's not great. So now we get to DNA. DNA time. I mm-hmm. wish we had a song. Peanut butter DNA time. Peanut. No, that doesn't work. DNA. DNA. DNA to acquit. DNA. DNA to acquit. Okay. I don't know. I'll think about Keep it. Keep working on it. You'll do better. Um. So I don't Steve- think I will. I think you will. I know you DNA is hard. The letters are hard. Letters are hard. Yeah. Um, so Stephen's DNA is found under Jesse's fingernails. And but so is Ed's. Ed said they had slept together the night before. So that makes sense. But Stephen says he hadn't seen Jesse in over a week. I'm sorry. It was found under his fingernails. Correct. Imundo. How much? I don't know how much. Enough that they could identify it. So does Jesse not wash his hands or is Stephen the killer? Does he have very long nails? Because even if you washed your hands and you're not like scrubbing your nails. When you shower, though, the shampoo like 
putting that in your hair, I find that gets under the nails pretty good. And when had the last time that Stephen said that he saw Jesse? Over a week. Well over a week, the detective said. So we're talking maybe eight or nine days. Why doesn't Stephen have marks on him, though? Don't know. When do they check him? A couple days later? I don't know. There's some stuff in this case that doesn't make some sense. You have to give me that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely do. There's question marks in this one. Yeah. Or and maybe Jesse just doesn't wash his hands that much. This is pre-corona. He's a college kid. He's a college kid. This is pre-pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely it is. Yeah. I mean, it's not that. Yeah, it would be strange to have DNA under Under your nails. nails. That's for over a week. That's very strange. That would be hard to explain. Yeah. So the process, I feel like I'm kind of changing your mind. The prosecutor talks about, the prosecutor and the defense attorney are characters. Oh, my! what's the prosecutor's name? Hold on. Okay. It's something bananas. The prosecutor's bananas. name is Maury Swingle. Morley Swingle. Morley. Morley Swingle. That's not a real person. And I was like, what? I am swingled. I, you've got me swingled, Morley. That, that's like a character in Yogi Bear. That's like the guy that comes to the park and keeps messing things up for Yogi. <laughs> Stealing his picnic basket. And he comes in and he's got like a little suit on and he's like the regulator of the he's, park. Yes. No more bears, I said. No more bears. I've never actually seen Yogi Bear, so I don't know what happens. I just know that sometimes he, he has gets a picnic. He picnic basket stolen, I yeah, think. Yeah, he, so Morley, is the Morley the one sw- swindling him or is he the one shutting he's, down the picnic? He's swing swingling, which maybe is like swinging. It swingles. Morley Swingles Club. I don't know. How do you get into Morley Swingles Club? I don't think I want to know. Morley Swingles Night also sounds like it could be a drag Wingles. night. Wingles. No, it's swinging for singles. Swingles. Swingles. So it's singles that go and want to swing. I don't know how swinging works if you're single, but that's what it is for sure. Swingles.com. TM. Mark KT and Kimberly. Yeah. A new site for singles who want to swing with married couples. It's not a good idea. I don't want to make that site, but it's still worth it. I'd be into it. it. I'm fine with it. I don't think you would be actually You get a little it. attention, but then you don't have to deal with someone all the time at your house. But then what if you got... This is how datelines happen, Kimberly. You're going to get yeah, datelined. I, I know. For sure. Signing so, up for a site called Swingles means you've upped your... Remember that risk factor? Yeah, I've totally upped my risk factor for By sure. like a thousand percent mm-hmm. yeah no. so several of steven's hairs were found on jesse's chest and they all have roots and they realize i guess they can tell kind of where the hairs come from um and they are limb hairs l-i-m-b the prosecutor says <laughs> um and mm. then keith says and here the prosecutor went out on a limb yeah thank you keith i appreciate it keith so that's interesting, right? That they are limb hairs. Um, no. Just, well, um, Stephen was wearing a short-sleeved uniform that day. Okay. So in a struggle and the chokehold that we're going to hear about. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. I think it makes sense. What the issue might be here, but okay. So they think Stephen choked out Jesse before killing him, like stabbing him in the neck when he was laying down. 
that explains the blood pattern. Yeah, they think that he was already incapacitated when his he was not his throat was not slit when he was a lot like when he was conscious, mm-hmm. which honestly, I said, thank God. Oh, yeah. For the, for the mother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, there's this attack trainer, Todd Burke. Oh, my good Lord. Big guy. There we who, go. He's an he trains cops on doing these protective chokeholds and things like that. He actually was the one who trained Stephen on the force to do this chokehold. And so he shows Keith on Detective Short. Thank God. I thought he was going to demonstrate on Keith. No. And I was like, we are in a pandemic. I can't deal with Keith dislocating a shoulder. Yeah. So he Todd is doing it on Detective Short. And he's wearing shorts and knee-high socks. Yes, he is. Like a German tourist. I loved it. Loved it. So he does this chokehold, and the bruises match up perfectly to the bruises that were found on Stephen's, um, Jesse's body, especially this big bruise on the upper back, which I thought, like, how would you get that kind of bruise unless you were, like, on a rugby team and you were getting a ton of enthusiastic backpats? Like, attaboy. Like... I don't know how you would have a giant bruise in your upper back. And this wouldn't be something that was caused by sexual congress, congress, sexual activity. I mean, very rough sex, maybe. Correct. I would like to hear Ed's take on what they did the night before. Okay. If they were together the night before. or if, Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. I'm saying some of that stuff could be explained, but it does. It is not great. No, it's not great because that bruise like matches perfectly to the way this chokehold goes, especially the part where he says you they would struggle back and you would keep pushing them back into your arm to choke them out. Right. And he's hitting him like exactly where the bruise is. Yeah, that's not good. So uh, then they think that he was killed with a clip knife, which is the kind that cops use a lot. So and that would match the wound. They put a friend on the stand who says the same thing that Patrick had told the police, which is that Jesse said he was going to out Stephen to the police chief. But Libby is totally in denial. She thinks it is not him. He came home really calm that night. He wasn't covered in blood. She feels like he couldn't do it. So she takes the stand in his defense. She doesn't think he had time to clean up and everything. And I mean, I kind of felt like she was in denial at this point. To me, it seemed fairly clear. I'll be honest. I she may be in denial, but it's not the kind of denial where you're willingly believing something that like, do you know what I'm saying? I feel like there's different levels of denial and there's willingly overlooking facts that are true. And what Libby's doing is looking at the fact that she knows Stephen probably better than anyone that she's ever met. Although Stephen did have this other side to him that she didn't know, but she knows. Yeah, How can you say that she knew him better than anyone? And he was literally sleeping with the guys. I'm saying Maybe she knows him best, like, as as far as you know people. I know my mom really well. I know you really well. I know this, this, this. But so she knows him as one of her people that she knows very well is what I'm saying. Although he did have this other side. But I'm saying she said that the thing that got me is that she said she knew what he was like when he was stressed out and upset and, you know, having that anxiety. And he came home and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. And I don't think she's remembering that weird. Also, problem is she's probably very tired. She it's has a new so baby tired. at home. so tired. That's a really good point. But I'm also, that's what rang true to me is that I 
I don't think she's in denial. I think she fully believes. Well, I guess that's partly denial, but I think she fully believes that he didn't do it because she didn't see any action that would. But she didn't see anything for years when he would come home after sleeping with another guy. It wasn't years. I'm sorry. We don't know how many if he was doing this before. Oh, I see what you're saying. I feel like it's pretty likely that this was a pattern. Um, when he did probably he start was doing this? When did he start plucking his eyebrows? Unsure. He had been on the force for several years. Had they always been that well manicured? Because they are better than mine by right. a thousand. Right. So unclear. We don't know. Honestly, we don't know. I yeah. I think I think she fully believes what she's saying. Yeah, I think she I does. just think she might be wrong and doesn't know him as well as she thinks she does. And you never know what someone's capable of. You just never know. That is that is true as well. We have seen surprising things. I mean, that's why we have family in denial on the bingo cards. I'm not totally convinced either way. I will yeah. say that. So, OK. Yeah. So Stephen takes the stand and he says he didn't do it, um, but he's found guilty. And yeah. And Keith says the jury agrees with. And he's like, we're like, Libby, what? And then he goes, Linda. And I was the mom. And I was like, oh, Keith, you tried to trick us. I see. He did by by giving us. But then it's at this point that I click on the episode and I see how much time we have left. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, hold the phone. We have a whole other episode coming. Yeah. So Barry Bumgardner, the writer, decides she's back. Guess who's back? Barry's back. She decides to write about the story. So she reaches out to Stephen, thinking she'll get some stuff for her book, I think. But instead, he somehow convinces her to start looking at the case again. So yeah. she starts digging in to the case and starts believing that he's innocent. So she says he always went to Jesse's late or in his shift, never late as he did that night. That I, doesn't seem to matter to me. I feel like a one night could be different then why is this night different from all other nights? Jesse was known for shocking people with stories. So maybe he just said he was going to out Stephen and wasn't really going to. I totally believe that he maybe really wasn't going to actually go through with it. But it doesn't matter because if Jesse or if Stephen thought that Jesse was going to out him, that's all that matters. But okay. But how does Jesse, I mean, how does Jesse relaying this message? To this Stephen? is, this is where I get very confused is because there's no records that they talked that week, like no texts or um, phone calls or anything. Now, could Stephen have gone over there another day and not told us about it? Yeah. Where they talked in person. I don't know. Or is there someone else who knows something like that had relayed a message to Stephen? Like, I've been talking to Jesse and he's going to out you. I don't know. How did Stephen know that Jesse was going to out him? That's a huge part of the motive. And we don't know how that happened. So that's a big hole for me. It's a huge, it's a gaping hole. Yeah. So Mary, I'm sorry, Barry thinks that it was the rabbi's son who said he wasn't gay. Because Jesse had joked about outing Zev to his rabbi dad. So it would be like a similar motive to Stephen. Jesse needs to stop making jokes about outing people. It's not cool. So the neighbor who had seen a guy crying that night couldn't for sure pick Zev out of a photo. But Barry says, well, the neighbor is shown a high school yearbook photo and Zev is now 19. 
That's like the same thing. No, not at all. 19 and maybe 18 or 17? Well, that's going to depend on the person. That just depends on the person. I think that if you're looking at like a senior portrait and then you look at someone a couple years later, I mean, I think it could be very different. I think it's Zev. Like that, the crying guy was Zev. That's my theory. And Why I'll get was to Zev it. there? Okay. So Barry had spoken over a hundred times to Steven. She doesn't think he did it. Keith calls her on this and is like, don't you think maybe you've talked to him too much and now you're seeing the world through his eyes? And she's like, oh, no, I don't think so. I was like, really? I don't know. Mm. I have thoughts. Mm -hmm. So then an appeals court rules that the friend who took the stand in the first trial couldn't say the thing about hearing Jesse saying he was going to out Steven because it was hearsay. But here's the huge problem that even Dateline producer acknowledges. Patrick, who has the chats where Jesse said, I am going to out Steven, never took the stand. Those are not hearsay. Those chats are like written proof that Steven's or Jesse was going to out Steven. They never put him on the stand. So they put this friend on the stand who said, yeah, Jesse told me he was going to do it. And then later on, they decide that that's hearsay. So here's the problem is that probably the chats are not what the, the prosecution needs them to be. The chats are probably not done in enough of a way that it's like, I'm going to out him. It's probably very obvious when you read the chats that it's a joke or that it's like, oh, I think I should I out him? Oh my gosh, should I out him? Do you think I should out? Like, it might be done in a way that makes it seem very a lot less serious. And therefore, you don't want the jury to see that. you got to assume that the prosecution had a reason for not putting the actual chats. Up. I, I hope that Dateline producer was like, it's a great question and nobody knows why. I like, think that's why. Because we don't even actually ever see the chats. So, yes, it's probably not done in a way that it benefits the prosecution. Because otherwise, they would absolutely put them up. They would not put this girl up who is hearsay. They would not do that. They would put up the real chats. So the real chats are not potent enough, period. That's it. But Patrick would have been great on the stand. He would have been great on the stand. and he, But he also probably would have come up and, again, damaged the prosecution's case by saying, he said he was going to out everybody. It was like his little joke because he was so free and open that it was like, I'm going to out him. He's blah, blah, you know. But it Patrick took it as serious. Like when he's talking to Dateline, He's very serious. Well, now he's taking it as serious because he's dead. Right. But at the time... He maybe thought it was a joke. Is that reflected in the text? Right. So I'm just saying... Yeah, no, it's a great... If you're opening that up, then there's something in those chats that the defense is also going to be able to use. Yeah. So neither one wants Patrick on the stand for a certain reason. So uh -huh. I don't... That's That's all I'm saying is that I think if you open up the chats, there's other stuff in the chats that are damning for other potential suspects. That could be true also. Mm -hmm. That's what I think we're looking at. I thought about this for a while because I'm like, there's a reason. Otherwise, they'd put him up. It could be that there's a string of stuff about Zeb and Ed. Uh -huh. Sorry, Zef? Zev. Zeb. There's a, Zeb. There's a, Zev. Zev with a yeah. B. Yeah. yeah. There's a string of stuff about both of them that's like, I'm outing them. And they're like, well, why didn't either of these guys do it? You know, I mean, that's what we're looking at. So defense, Zev's. DNA is not anywhere in his body. We should point Correct. out. Yeah. Um, that kind of blows my theory. Anyways, defense attorney Gillis Leonard 
who is crazy. Oh my God. He thinks of himself as a down-home Jimmy Stewart who likes to drink once in a while. That... But he comes <laughs> off as a Jimmy Stewart who once in a movie played Harvey Weinstein. Uh, he does. It's amazing. He thinks of himself as Jimmy Stewart, particularly in Anatomy of a Murder, which is hysterical, which should be specific. And then likes to have a drink every once in a while. Okay, so you're an alcoholic because that's the only reason that you say very that. Very bloated. And he's, he's very red and his eyes are very watery. And if you're saying on Dateline that you like to have an occasional drink, that <laughs> never works in your favor. No, no. But he does seem like a crack bang attorney. I will say this, that if I was going to have a defense attorney, I'm not sure if I wouldn't want the alcoholic Jimmy Stewart on my team. I feel like even if he's really good and he's a little slimy, that the jury might get really annoyed with him and think he was creepy and full of himself. Unsure. And, and then point. they would be turned off. So that's the only thing. But I do feel like he would try a lot of tricks. I feel like he has tricks up his sleeve. Oh, he has all the tricks. Like he breaks, he starts breaking this down like nothing I've ever seen. I'm sure you wrote it down. Like he breaks down every piece of evidence. So Keith says to Gillis, his name is Gillis. Um, yeah. Stephen lied. Sorry, so this is Morley Swingle versus Gillis Leonard. Yes. <laughs> in the trial of Jesse James, Jesse James Valencia. I mean, the, you can't make this up. Yeah, no, you can't. All right. So um, Keith says to him, well, Stephen lied and lied and lied. And Gillis says about sex, sex and sex. I don't want to hear this guy say sex. Period, period, period. And he says, of course, he was lying. He was having sex with a young boy. I mean, young man. And I was like, mm. slip of the tongue there, buddy. But totally true. But he's but it, he did that on purpose. He's making a point. This, I don't think this, he did it all. I think he did it by accident. Well, even if he did it on accident, this crime is sensational because that's how the jury is seeing it, that this cop, it's exactly how you and I are seeing it, that this cop took advantage of his position and was having sex with a college student. Right, but he's the defense attorney. Right. Why would he want to put that in his, us in our minds? Be, no, no, because he's telling, you know, what he's telling Keith is like, this is what the mindset of the jury is going into the actual facts of this case. So that's what I'm up against. Gotcha. Because this is about sex, sex, sex. Yes, he lied about it, about this action that is really morally reprehensible to a lot of people sitting on that jury. Uh-huh. So, I but mean... But he's not he's, a murderer. That's what, I mean, that's what he has to prove. But, I mean, he has to say, but he has to say, I'm going in with the cards stacked to here. Right, right. Just um, by the fact that he lied about sex. He's very, sex, sex, and sex. Sex, sex, so and sex. he's very sarcastic, and he says, like, something about when the cops looked at Stephen when he was going to jump, and they were like, they knew he did it. And he's like, Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit in a police uniform were able to look into Stephen's heart and just knew that he was guilty. <laughs> it's like, like he's preaching or something. It's really funny. The suicide thing is hard, though, because it would make you think that he's guilty, like we saw that other guy. But it also is like... He has shamed his whole family. Yeah, I totally get why you would want to kill himself. Not that anyone should want to kill themselves, but I totally see your point that it does. It makes it, the running away 
buying a gun, like, it does make him look guilty. That makes him look guilty also. He has just been outed as, he's also just been outed as gay. Totally. In a conservative town, he's lost everything. This is, so we have two scenarios in which someone might consider suicide. um, It could go either way. It could go either way, right. So, yeah. So, did Stephen have time? So, Gillis says he has to chase Stephen down, choke him, although he calls it the secret ninja chokehold. Because it's always fun to make light of choking out and killing some. It's fine. Um, He's folksy. So, and then he has to stab him and clean up. And he says, I don't know if you've been to the crime scene. And Keith is like, I have. It's like, don't tell Keith, like, I don't know if you've been, I've been to the crime. And Keith is like. He's folksy, Kimberly. I've also been to the crime scene. I'm Keith effing Morrison. I do my job. Take a seat, Gillis. Take several seats, Gillis. So the neighbor heard a commotion between 3.30 and 4.30. And until 4.37, he was at the, on the roof with the cops. Now, the neighbor clearly says this is just a window. He honestly, he's, it, he doesn't really know. This dude is up that late. He doesn't know exactly what time. He didn't look at the clock like Libby said she did. So if you're trying to guesstimate and you're up at like four in the morning, I don't know if you can totally gauge that clearly. Like it's four, it's 4.30, it's five. You know, that's a little iffy. If you're just like up, I don't know what he was up doing, like watching movies or smoking pot. Like, I don't know. what Because both, because the timeline seems very important. It does. And we're not, and we're getting fishy. We're getting wishy-washy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one cop on the roof says he saw daybreak when Jesse was still there. And then I feel like they're going to go into science and go into the almanac and be like, what time sun, was what time did sunrise? sunrise? And they don't do it. And I was like, why aren't they telling us what time sunrise was on that specific day? Yeah. Um, and then here's where we get the title and also something I really don't understand. So the cop says he saw Jesse maybe on the roof during sunrise. That's what he remembers. Not Jesse. He saw Stephen. I'm sorry, Stephen. So mm-hmm. the um, medical examiner says the murder happened before daybreak, which is our title before daylight. She thinks it was dark when he was killed. How the freak does she know that? How they usually cannot tell time of death that specifically that she knows it was before the sun rose. Like, is it because of dew making like there was dew on the grass and like, so I don't know. I need to know how she is so sure that it was before sunrise on that day. I, I don't I honestly don't know how she would know that he wasn't found till the next day. Usually they can give a maybe a couple hours window. But even if it's an hour window, sunrise could be in that time. And how would you know it was before that time? Yeah, I, I really don't know. And yeah. they put her on the stand. But I would have liked to have seen how she is so sure of that. We need a three-hour episode for this one. Yeah, so kind of. Stephen says he never owned a knife like that. This, the clip knife that would match the wound perfectly. There's footage of him earlier in the day doing a traffic stop. And you can't see the knife on him. But I was like, he has pockets he has a car with a glove box in it yeah no but the knife clips into the it's a police clip it clips into the belt does but it he he still could have had it on him you know it's not a great no it's definitely not it it helps it helps the defense's theory it's a smart way to go 
Gillis was smart in using that. Yeah. Because it would put maybe a seed of doubt. All he's trying to do is create doubt. Yeah, that's true. And it does create a seed of doubt, but it makes me go, eh, I feel like he took, he, it's not, it's not foolproof. Um, but no. speaking of pockets where you can keep a clip knife or anything, can we talk beta brand for a moment? We can talk beta brand for a couple of moments. I freaking love beta brand. I know you do. So here's the deal. If you're out of clean sweatpants, which I often, often am, you can mix things up by changing into Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. Because honestly, they're as comfortable as your PJs and their professional style will actually make you feel like you got dressed for the day. That's an accomplishment. It is. As we go into week whatever you're on now in your part of social isolation, sometimes getting dressed for the day can make your mood a little better, make you feel like you're going to accomplish something around the house, even if you're not working from home right now. Beta Brand's dress yoga pants are made out of wrinkle-resistant stretch knit fabric. Women love these pants because they fit so well. Most dress pants are uncomfortable. They dig into your skin. You have to, like, you want to unbutton them while you're sitting stuck for a long time in front of your computer or sitting and watching Tiger King for six hours straight. Don't judge me. No, never. Um, It's the kind of thing that you just want to rip them off the minute you can and just put on a comfortable pair of sweatpants. With Beta Brand, you don't have to. They're super comfortable and stylish while still holding you in, and they claim to make your butt look great. And if you are isolating at home with your husband... Maybe you want your tushy to look good. Or your significant other. Maybe yeah, whatever. Just, whoever. Or maybe you just want to look in the mirror and feel good about yourself. There's that too. I'm fine Do with that. Do it for you. Yeah, Do you're it for right. You. Forget the other. My mom loves her beta brand pants. She has been hinting very strongly that she would like another pair for her birthday, which is coming. She looks great in them. They're honestly, they're really nice looking pants. They're not what you would imagine that a yoga dress pant would look like. They're super sleek and very stylish. So right now, our customers can get 25% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash dateline. That's 25% off your first order for a limited time at betabrand.com slash dateline. Find out why women are buying five different pairs of these pants. And there are like, honestly, all the styles are so cute. Go check them out. The crop style, pockets, no pockets, whatever you want. So go to betabrand.com slash dateline for 25% off. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, get your beta brand on. Check them out, okay, guys. Okay, I'm buying them for Joni, too. Does Joni not have a pair yet? No, and she keeps saying, what are those pants you guys keep talking about? Oh, the pants What are, are those really pants? Nice. Like, she really keeps hinting. We have had listeners that have bought them, and Oh, my they God, love so many. Them. They yeah. love them. Thank you, beta brand. Thank you, beta brand. So the cop um, does that, the one that taught the choke move to the police academy, does the choke move again in court. On the prosecutor, which Keith finds delightful. He's like, why did you volunteer yourself? So the defense shows the same thing. And he, they show that with the um, attack, the f- victim would be able to fight back a little and maybe get some scratches in. And they did not see any scratches on Stephen's arms, which is a good point. So Although somehow that DNA got under Jesse's nails. The problem is, too, when they're showing it in court, the way that they're pulling is on the back shoulder. It's not on the front arm because that's not where your arms go is to the arm. It goes here. 
it goes like up to the back to pull the shoulder down and the upper arm down. Unfortunately, that's where someone has clothes. So this is where I was a little confused about the finger scratches. You, your arms, your hand doesn't go to the bare part of the skin. It goes back, especially if you're pulling them down. The DNA under the fingernails, it, for me, is just, I don't get that evidence. I don't know why, why we're worried about it, because it doesn't seem like it would be, he didn't have scratches on him, number one, and how would it get there? I think that you can get things, okay, if you have nails, I bite mine, but let's say you have the tiniest bit of nails, and you run your fingers, you scratch your arm. And I don't mean you scratch it like it's bleeding. I mean you scratch it like you have an itch. You now have DNA under your fingernails, and your arm has no cuts on it. So that's how that can happen, I think. Unless my science, let me call science, is way off, that DNA is transferred that easily. If I'm scratching my arm right now, I'm getting DNA under my fingernails. My arm is nothing. It might be a tiny bit red because I just itched it. But there's no cuts on it. Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. Okay. So I just didn't like that evidence, period. Yeah. It's, it could kind of go both ways, but it is tricky. And it's kind of unavoidable, though, that it is there. And that he says he hasn't seen him for over a week. So... He has to be lying about that unless Jesse doesn't wash very well. And then there's the hairs, but we'll get to the hairs. The hairs, so, right. The hairs on Jesse's chest mixed in with his, I don't know if he had chest hair, on his chest. And he's he was topless when he was attacked. He's only wearing shorts when he was murdered. So he's attacked without a shirt on. And on his chest, they find hairs from the root which are limb hairs, like from an arm or leg of Stephen, the police That's officer. Not right. So the defense says, oh, that if they had um, had sex like oh, over a week before, those hairs would be in Jesse's bed, and they found his DNA in Jesse's bed because Jesse is a twenty-three-year-old dude and does not wash his sheets. Um, of course not, but. How many hairs were found on his chest? Um, Like a handful. Okay. Six? That's, I don't know where I'm getting six from. That's not great evidence. For I mean, that's, that's good evidence for the prosecution. It it's is. Not great evidence for the defense. Also, if he had just been sleeping and maybe the hairs got on him, I feel like they would have come off in this running because he ran 200 yards um, and was struggling a lot. But they were still on him when he was attacked, which makes me think the person that was over him. I'm sorry, why wouldn't a police officer... Also, why are the hairs out by the roots? That's not like they just shedded and fell off. That's like they were pulled out. No, I think... Oh, oh. You don't lose hairs by the root that often, I don't think. On your arms. Yeah, that's true. How also can they tell that they're limb hairs? I think that's a texture thing and uh, just examining the hairs. Okay, sorry. I'm also just, I'm confused, like... Length? Yeah, maybe. I'm confused as to why Steven, as a cop, would not do a little bit better cleanup if he did this. This well, seems... Well, he's a young cop, but yeah. You would know certain things, and you would know about DNA. Yeah. And you would know but the But this seems like it was something done in passion. Right. Okay. 
Um, and again, could be why he volunteered to guard the body. He could have tried to brush some things off of um, Stephen. He, unfortunately, he also could be trying to cover his tracks of the affair. Yes, that's so true, So the too. guarding of the body is twofold. Mm-hmm. Um, so the defense attorney thinks that Stephen was the victim of a witch hunt in the police department because cops are always trying to cross that thin blue line and frame their own for murder. No, it usually goes the other way that cops are doing everything to protect themselves. That's true. Um, but the defense attorney thinks maybe cause he was gay or having an affair, they were trying to get him out cause he was sustained on the police. To- I don't know. It, That's it's, hard. You can kind of see that too. That's rough. I don't know. I know. So, yeah. but usually it d- goes the other way. So Ed had that bag of knives in his room, and when the cops searched Ed's apartment, Ed and Eric's apartment, they didn't find it. But Ed says it was there. So the defense says, "Well, look at how lazy they were looking into Ed and Eric. They barely searched the apartment. They didn't even find the knives. That's not great." That's not Eric great. takes the stand. Eric is um, super annoyed that he has to testify. He is not happy to be there. And he's like, I'm not sure what time he was on his date that night. Eric, because he was on the date and maybe it was his alibi, but the date time, he's like, I'm not sure anymore. I am not sure anymore what time it was. It was a long time ago. Um, Like everything he says is like this. Like why, you know? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So, um, the prosecutor puts Ed on the stand. He, we don't get to see this. I want to judge Ed for myself. Ed is supposed to be the weak, crying one that never could have done this. He is a sweet, crying boy. And we don't get to see this. We have seen sweet, crying boys flip and commit murder before. But yes. um, we don't get to actually see Ed on the stand. And he did not want to go on Dateline. So that's unfortunate because I kind of want to see what Ed is like. Yeah. Um, at one point, the pro- it's the defense, I believe, is cross-examining one of the guys and uses the phrase gay sex. And people on Twitter were, like, furious. They were like, you don't have to say gay sex. It's just sex. We, you know? And um, But I, I can't, I couldn't find it, so I don't remember what part it is, but I wanted to call it out because a bunch of people on Twitter were, like, furious. Were they using that for effect, though? Y- yes, they were. They were using it to make an effect, a point to the jury. Um, and it's icky. Don't like it. Just no. Um, so then we see Zev on the stand who looks like George Michael during faith and, or George Clooney slash George Clooney. And the defense asks him, isn't it true that Jesse was your first alternative lifestyle experience? Like they're Wiccans or something. (laughs) Like they're in. (laughs) (laughs) Is he your first apple of the dark arts? (laughs) Isn't it true that he introduced you to Satanism at a young age? Alternative goat killings. Yes, to sacrifices. Um, Now, Zev is like, do you mean he was my first gay friend? And the defense is like, no, "Uh, no, No, Zev, we don't mean that. We mean that you were together. And Zev is like, no, we I'm not gay. We did not have an affair. And this is when I got really sad. The defense is theory is that Zev and Jesse were together and Zev was in love with Jesse and Jesse was breaking up with him and Zev was devastated. So he drove over that night and killed him. 
Why do they have that? Why do they have that theory? Do we have any messages? What year is this again? Do we have 2004? So what, who is Jesse texting with that night? Um, well, Zev called him twice, but they never talked. They never spoke. Um, how do we know they never spoke? Because it's just call records and it wasn't answered. It wasn't picked up. Okay. And Zev says we didn't, he didn't pick up. So I just went to bed. Um, so I think there's something in the chats with Patrick that maybe implies he was breaking up with Zev, but he also called Zev his boy toy as a joke and said he was going to out Zev to his rabbi. I, Zev makes it sound like it was all a joke because I wasn't gay. So that was the joke when he called me his boy toy because like, I'm not gay. So it, we don't, it's very tricky. Now he lived in his parents' basement and he had to open the garage door in the middle of the night to drive the car out. So they maybe would have woken up. Zev's mom takes the stand looking oh. exactly like a rabbi's wife. Oh my goodness. Pinnacle rabbi's wife. Okay. And she says she was home all night and Zev was there. She knows for a fact he went to bed at like 1.30 in the morning. That's a little iffy too. How sound of sleepers are they? How far away do, do they live? He had to, would have had to drive. If you're asking if he could walk, I think yes, he would have had I'm to drive. Yes, I'm if he could walk. Okay. I think he would have had to drive. Um, Libby is called to testify. This is where it gets crazy. This is where you got mad. This is where I got upset. Okay. So in the first trial, she says, he got home 5.15, I was feeding the baby. Now she's saying that the clock was fast by seven minutes. She had right. set it fast on purpose so she wouldn't be late for work. And Stephen got home earlier than 5.15. And so he would have had even less time to commit the murder. Why are you mad at this? Because she never said it before. Because she didn't remember. But if you, like I set many clocks fast and I know they're fast. Mm -hmm. If you set a clock fast, when you look at it, you automatically do the math. Even if you're tired and feeding a baby, maybe you're not thinking clearly. I don't know. But I feel like you would have remembered she had months before that first trial to think of this months, maybe even a year. I don't even know how long it take, took for the first trial. And she never said this on the stand. And you don't think this is something that just clicked later that was like, oh, my God, I was wrong about the time. I think it's more likely what Keith said, which is her mind made it click because she's trying to make it fit that it's not him. So her memory is playing this trick on her. Okay. Or making her think that that clock was fast. But I, I don't think you can get mad at her for that. No, you're, you're right. You're right. I can't. I can't because she's trying desperately. Her life fell apart and she's trying desperately to make it make less, make more sense and make it less painful. You already have your husband cheating on you with a guy when you are at home with your newborn baby. Well, he was a cop. You have all this horrible stuff. To add on top of it, murder is like too much. It would break a person. So she's trying to make it not be a murderer at least because she knows the other stuff is true. Also, unfortunately, she seems very trustworthy. So like when she says things like this, I'm like, okay, I buy it. All right, I buy it. I buy it that you just remembered later. It also, because I'm someone that doesn't remember everything under duress, I feel like it would be something that later I'd be like, oh, crap. But this is years later. And, but and that's what I feel like it was something that I would do. 
like, oh no. Wouldn't you think you would remember during calm moments before the first trial? Boy, I would hope so. But I don't know why she didn't, but I see why, yeah, they'd call her a liar. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't look great. Yeah. Um, so she gets called a liar, basically, on Stan. Stephen doesn't testify in the second trial, but he video conferences with Keith from prison. He has aged, as we all have. Not going to judge him for that. No. But prison's rough. Yeah. Um, he cops said, in so, prison is rough. Cops in prison is so, my God, rough. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he's video chatting with Keith from prison. And Keith says, what was your first mistake? This is where I get annoyed with Steven. Um, he says, well, crossing paths with Jesse. That was my first mistake. And Keith is like, um, no, you're allowed to arrest him. Like, that's your job. Police officers come in contact with people. That wasn't a mistake. Your first mistake was the decision you made to go there that the next night to sleep with him. That was the decision that was the first mistake that you made. I think that him saying crossing paths with Jesse is him still being in like denial about what he's done. Like he's saying that in a way that that's what he's talking about. When he says crossing paths with Jesse, he means putting myself in Jesse's life. But don't you think that puts the onus on Jesse? Probably. Oh, yeah. It's not great. Right. I came yeah. in contact with Jesse and he lured me into his gay sex web. And yeah, there we go. I fell for yeah. it. And that was my mistake. I let myself fall for it. And it is so BS and him passing the buck. It's and complete BS. So he says, oh, well, I didn't go there to have sex with him that night. I just went there to see if Jesse was okay. That's a totally normal thing for a police officer to do. Okay. Then he says the sex was a surprise. Again, it's like he was tricked into it. Um, And then Keith, whose tag is sticking out from the back of his shirt. And I was like, oh, my God, the episode is ruined for me. I was so distracted the whole rest of the scene. I just wanted to flip in that tag. Why did no one flip in that tag? Keith, you got to have Keith's back. Okay, so he says Stephen was never going to out or sorry jesse was never going to out him they never discussed him being married it wasn't a big deal and i was like okay that makes it better i guess i don't know but he says he had no motive because he didn't know he was going to be outed he then admits i did lie about everything because i was having a same-sex relationship when i was married and i'm a police officer and keith says well you're a human being they do that and i was like That is so sweet, Keith, that you're trying to say, well, everyone makes mistakes. You're just human. Although I don't think all humans that are police officers um, go on duty booty calls. Right. With their pregnant wife at home. Whatever. But it was very nice. Keith saying, well, you're a human being. So Barry Bumgarner says there's enough doubt to drive a truck through. But they find him guilty for a second time. Yeah. He'll be up for parole in 2049. But second the, degree murder this time. Second degree murder. The mom says it's not enough. She's like, I wanted the death penalty. Straight up. She's like a little bit rougher of a Deborah Tipton. Like a Deborah Tipton who smokes on the porch. Okay. Like smokes Newports. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Libby says she'll believe Stephen is innocent until she dies. Wow. All right. 
Okay. You know how I feel about that. I do. That's not great. I mean, I know what she's saying. She's, but in my mind, it reads like, even if I was smacked in the face with evidence, I would still believe he didn't do it, you know, but whatever. It's her coping mechanism. So her son is now 16 and she takes him to visit Stephen. It's very sad. Like that. And that's very nice of her. She's now remarried and she still takes him to visit Stephen in prison. Very nice. But then Jesse's mom has to kill us by reading a poem that Jesse wrote about their farm. And it was like Dateline too much. Mama crying. She says she thinks about him every day. And Keith says every day. And she says every heartbeat. No. Done. No. I am spent. Ma'am. Oh, if I could enter music right now, there is a version of there's a Coldplay song, The Waterfall, that every tear is a waterfall, that song. Mm-hmm. And Robin does a version of it. And it's slow and it's at the BBC studios. The way she sings it rips your heart out. And that's what I thought of that every tear is a waterfall when she says every heartbeat. I was like, oh, my goodness. There's also another Robin song called um, With Every Heartbeat. So, I only Ro- know the Robin. one Robin song that's that's like done, like the dancing on my own. Yeah. And I love it. I think I should listen to more of Robin. I I'm think sure, I should I think send she's you, probably brilliant. Can I send you three or four suggestions? Because Robin is amazing. Yeah. And I think that you would love it, but it will make you a little melancholy. The way that Robin uh, sings, there's something about it. I want like a it. song where I can walk and do my dance walking, where I'm walking and the streets are deserted and I'm dancing. I've got it. Here, call your girlfriend. Okay. Go with that one. It's love great. It. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. So this episode is dedicated to Melissa V and Ashley D. And for you ladies, Melissa V and Ashley D, we are going to be talking in detail about the B-roll that was bananas. Both of you deserve a spotlight on yourselves that lights up in segments. So first it lights up maybe on your hands and we're, and then there's a dramatic bell that goes off like a ding yeah. And then it goes off a second time, and then we see your face in spotlight. It's not face; it's chest. It's chestal like, area, like a silo, like a. And both of you are sitting, um, like a Folgers um, moment, yeah. mixed with you're in the vagina monologues. Oh yeah, there we go. You are about to go. He had it coming. He had it coming. And it's so cell block tango meets vagina monologues meets meets Folger's moment Folger's moment um, meets uh, maybe you're having your portrait drawn at Disneyland. Correct. Um, yes. So whole now, how many people did we get this on? We got it on two that I'm remembering. I no, saw it on. We, there are more. I'll tell. I can go over them. Would okay, you like okay. me to go over yeah, them? Who, who thank you, you thank you, Melissa V and Ashley D. Though we thank you so so much. Thank you. You so guys, much. patrons, are the reason we do this show. Can do this show. We do it for everyone, but we are able to do it every week because, because of, of our the patrons. Patronize. So patronizing, patron patronizing patropods. They're not patronizing non-patronizing no no they're not patronizing in a negative way they're not looking a positive maybe they are maybe that's why they're patronizing us because they patronize us oh those girls so sad they're not very smart no they don't know things their gpas are not they don't know (laughs) how, how cells skin cells transfer i don't know anything they don't know where massachusetts is um no, one, one doesn't one of us. know. Yeah. 
Okay. So I do know where Massachusetts is. Thank you. Kentucky, not as sure. Is it the one with the pointy thing that comes out like a finger? I'm not. We move on. Is that Nebraska or Tennessee? That's Oklahoma. Go. Okay. So B-roll. Oh, first, just really quick. Keith says, 90 miles away from the hurly burly of the police station. <laughs> he did. Are you doing quotes first or are you no, doing B-roll first? I, sorry. I just got distracted by that one quote. Do you have more? I do. I have one. I do have one quote this time. It was also attached to a precious moment. So I'll just do my precious moment, too. Was the friend actually singing Ave Maria, Mm -hmm. which I was like killing me, killing Mm -hmm. me softly, killing me hardly. This is the worst. Please don't sing Ave Maria because it just breaks everyone's heart. And she sang it at the funeral. I'm sure she didn't make it through it. There's nothing sadder than someone singing a song. Um. Dateline producer said that she knew she couldn't get through it, so she recorded it ahead of time. Oh, thank God. Okay, yeah, no, because you can't get through it. And there's nothing, like, nothing makes me cry harder than watching someone try to get through a song at a funeral. And you just can't. No, it's the worst. Um, So what Keith said was, how do you measure the loss? The gap it tears in the lines of people and in the history of things that might have been. And I was like, Keith! Everyone in this episode is just tearing me to bits. I can't. And Stephen is, sorry, I keep doing that. Jesse is buried on the family farm. They just have like gravestones. Oh my God. Haphazardly placed all over the, I'm sure it's not haphazard, it means something. I didn't know you could just bury people like. Yeah, it's your land. And your land. No, because they have rules about that. Like you're not supposed to bury pets. It's like illegal to bury pets, but people do it all the time in certain places. Oh, okay. So I don't know if uh, you can, in all places, like just bury people on your land, but they do, and it's it's very personal. And there's it says he says his gravesite is watched over by a statue that very Maria of the song. Oh my gosh! Oh, hey. And also, by the way, where they are, these rolling hills, because he's in Kentucky, right? This is where the land this is. This is, yeah, at the family home. It's mm-hmm. stunning because they show Keith and Linda sort of walking up these green rolling hills. It's river stunning. or something? Like, oh, it's no, it, it is. It's like a river runs through it. Just get, I can't. Okay. So, okay. <sighs> so we have a spotlight on Jesse's mom. Yeah. She gets, she starts it off with the yeah, spotlight. Linda She's sitting it. in his bedroom, maybe, um, or in the family living room. I thought I saw a bed, but the wall is covered with family photos. Yeah. And it has like a family montage, but it doesn't have the one with the infinity What is sign. it lighting up on? It's lighting up on a family. It lights up on the word family. It lights up on a wall with a bunch of photos. And then it lights up on her. So right. It's a so three... first she's sitting there in a the dark. And each time the light goes off, it's like a ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like our town. Or something like that. No, it is extremely theatrical. Then um, the friend that sings Ave Maria. So the lights go dark and she's just sitting in blackness. And then the lights come up just on her hands. Mm -hmm. And then they go dark again. And then another ding. And then they go up on her. And I out loud said, what the F? Why? Every time it happened, I was like, what is happening? We have never seen this before. Yeah. What is Dateline doing? What well, people on Twitter were very mixed. Oh, are, were you mixed? I was. Um, Do you need to see it one more time? Yeah, you I. Need, you're a Dateline purist. I appreciate them trying something new, but I am a purist. 
honestly, to me, if I can be real, I found like someone, the Dateline producer said whose choice it was. And it's a big time producer that was producing the episode. And he's won like Peabody Awards and stuff like that. And they said that was his choice to make it all theatrical. I am more of a purist. And to me, honestly, it felt a little 48 hours. And that's not a great thing. It felt a little cheap. And I did not think that. Did you like it? I did. I thought it was very dramatic. But if they did it every week, would you think that? I don't know. I think it was appropriate to this story. I think these people that they were, especially the mom and the friend, you'll have to tell me who else they did it for. Um, These were important people in Jesse's lives who had been changed and touched by this story. Mm -hmm. And so I did not mind it. It was it brought a solemnity, I thought, to the story. So it didn't feel cheap to me. It felt special. I feel like 48 Hours does this thing where the host walks in in kind of a spotlight and there's like a brick wall behind them and they're talking about the story. And it just like that's sort of what it reminded me of, like Mm. noir sort of trying to be like, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite. It didn't bring that to me. So I think it might be different strokes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what good theatrical stuff does is it gets a reaction. It makes you feel one way or the other about something. It it totally does. And I thought it brought like a good gravitas. Yeah. I was like, okay, I see what they're doing. When are they going to break out into? And you were like, yeah. (laughs) The name on everybody's lips is going to be be Roxy. Roxy. Um, So the wife Libby gets a one that is solemn. She's in her beautiful pony. She's staring frozen in her kitchen. Yeah, yeah. But out, it, she's looking out an invisible window mm-hmm. because she's not looking out a window. Mm-hmm. And she's frozen like a mannequin. And then the spotlight goes up on her. And then the ding, the lights go up a little more, but she's still frozen. Mm-hmm. So she has to be frozen for like a good 15 seconds. No, she's not frozen. I don't think that's bad she's blinking she's allowed to blink but it's strange it's super dramatic and I kinda like these it. people doing these reenactors like they're not actors they're not reimagined actors they're the people who lived through this so having them do this pose in the darkness and then the lights come up it feels a little strange to me I hear I hear you I feel like they might have felt dumb doing it I'm curious as to how they felt. I thought it was effective in the episode. I don't okay. know. But I'm I'm not a purist, so I was interested to see that they did something new for this case. I was like, okay, I don't know if I would like it if they did it every week. I think it would lose some of its... Um... Yes, potency. But I think for this one, it was like, these are all the characters in this story. Like, Yes. But it does, does it make it too theatrical? Does it make them characters and not real people? That's the question. Well, the the thing is, they look, especially the wife, Libby, like she does look like a little like she's a character in a play and the narrator is coming out. You know, when the narrator comes out and talks to you and the actors have to stay frozen until the like light's gone. So I don't know. Um, then the detective gets one. He's sitting in a dark room and then the spotlight comes up on him. It's the um, detective short. So he gets one. Um Libby's parents get totally normal Folgers B-roll with two cups of coffee. Totally normal, yeah. Did, like, did they not agree to do the spotlights or were they not chosen to They're do not the in spotlights? It enough. You had it on the major, I would say, the, well, the friend wasn't in it that much. No. They weren't chosen. But you know who should have gotten one? Patrick. 
Mm-hmm. And Patrick did not get one, although Patrick's whole lighting setup is kind of him in a dark room. It is, and he's very bright. He chose very bright blue for his But clothing. the background is like darkness. Like, it's maybe to symbolize that they are chat friends on the computer only. Ooh, I liked that because they're friends on the web. On the web. He's like sitting in the web. That's good. Um, like that. And then the author, Barry Bumgardner, she gets three lights turning on for her. Thrice mm. bells rang for Bumgardner. <laughs> and I was like, don't give Bumgardner thrice bells. Yeah, Bumgardner. Save thrice no. bells for someone else. No, she gets thrice bells because of that name. <laughs> Barry Bumgardner shall get thrice bells. Shall get thrice bells. I declare it. The ringing of the bells shall be thrice. <laughs> it was so strange. Okay, I didn't even do titles. I just w- ran out of time and I couldn't have thought of it. I did one. The bells rang the, the whom for whom the bell stole. Barry Bumgardner. One very disappointing title called Libby, Libby and Slander. Oh, like libel? Yeah. Okay. It's, I said it was disappointing. Uh, should we go to Twitter? Let's go to Twitter. Anna, Christine, one, two, three. Wait, no, stop. We're not going to Twitter. What's your alternative theory with Zeb? Oh, sorry. So my theory was, but it doesn't really hold up, is that he was having an affair with, um, well, not an affair, that uh, elicit something with um, Jesse was in the closet and he was there that night with um, Jesse sleeping or whatever when Stephen came in and started attacking Jesse. That's why he ran off and was seen crying barefoot on the street later and why he doesn't seem 100% truthful about what's happening. I agree. I actually thought that myself, that he was there. That he was there. I don't think he did it. Um, But none of his DNA is on Jesse and that, or in his bed. So that kind of blows the whole theory. Did they check for his DNA? They checked everyone's DNA. I'm 90% sure, but not 100% sure that they check for his DNA. I would like to know if they check But does that kind of make sense? Yes, it definitely makes sense. Unfortunately... He's protesting so much that it was that he was just his first gay friend and that and also it could be that they were just friends mm-hmm. and that Zev thought that Jesse was really fun and they went to, you know, shows together, went to the club together. Yeah, I know plenty but, of straight guys who love that right, stuff. But Zev is not gay. And it's unfortunate because I think Jesse is so was so open about his sexuality and which is fantastic. Good job, Linda. But mm-hmm. like very uh, 100%. like very, you know, um like out there about like I'm gonna, you know, maybe you've said like made jokes like I'm gonna turn him, I'm turning him because look how cute Zev is, you know? And then but Zev is like, no, no. But now everyone sort of assumes that Zev right. is just in the closet. And that's, boy, that's a tough spot to be in. I don't I don't know what to say. If I'm, you're truly comfortable in yourself, obviously it wouldn't bother you. And like, but a young guy who maybe is insecure, maybe it would bother you. And I like don't know. is the son of a rabbi. But I don't think that being the son of a rabbi would be the reason. I don't know. It's I not, don't s- I don't know what, what rabbis are like in Missouri. Missouri. The rabbis that I always had were super gay positive. We actually had a lesbian rabbi in Orange County of all places, mm-hmm. and no one cared. She was married to the woman who did the, ran this the Hebrew school. 
Like this, yeah, this does. And that seem is in like... Orange County, and no one cared. So Jews generally, I think, are pretty um, gay positive and supportive of LGBTQ stuff, but right. not everywhere. If they were conservative rabbis, right, then and conservative Jews, that maybe could be a whole different story. Maybe it could, because it's just nothing I associate. I do not associate homophobia with Judaism at all. Like, no. Ever. I'm like, that's not really a thing. No. But. I wouldn't be a part of it if it was. Um, Anna Christine said, Lim, L-I-M-B, not lamb or land. Thanks. She, she always she did that for him. me. Yeah, she did. Oh, um, Misty Mann, we love Misty. She was in our chat the other day. I think Anna maybe was too. Which intern is responsible for this spotlight situation? I can't just quite decide if I like it or not. Thomas? Was it Thomas? Yeah, it could be Thomas. It could be a combo. It could be Thomas and Jane. That got, that were yeah. like, we're going to do something that is going to blow everyone's mind. Yeah. And if both... it wins, we get become the president of NBC, basically. But if it loses and people don't like it, we are fired. They both just went up to Ashland, Oregon, saw King Lear, and were mm-hmm. like, we have an idea. <laughs> Here's how we're going to do this. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, Dateline producer said Gillis, oh boy, Gillis, was a small town lawyer working mostly on DWIs and probate cases. This was his first murder trial. His first big trial of any sort, in fact. Oh my God. <laughs> was that... Shade Dateline producer on Twitter. That was so much shade. I see that now. Now I see that Gillis Leonard. Notice we didn't get to see his office. Is his office he his car? He didn't get a spotlight B roll too. No, of course not. Is his office his car? But like, do you know what I'm saying? Is he that guy? And he's like coming in. And he's like, I'm gonna get him off, and then he's gonna be a big star. Oh, I, that made my year. That's amazing. Oh, Gillis. I loved it. Um, Dayline producer said, we used six cameras to film Keith's timeline drive. Camera op in the passenger seat, three GoPros in and outside the car, a cam mounted on another car, and a drone waiting in the night for Keith to arrive at Jesse's house. How much attention do you think Keith Morrison got doing this drive through Thank God the streets were deserted. Was I it mean, worth it? I loved it. And it gave us the 25-minute timeline. I didn't I, notice all those camera angles. I didn't. I noticed that he was looking at the front and to the right. So I thought someone there was someone in the side. I thought there was someone in the side. And then one mountain in front. I didn't, I'm sure there were other ones I just didn't notice. Usually with the driving, they do shots of close up of the hands. Yeah. Then they do a shot from inside where you are the speedometer that is looking out up at the driver. And, um, and then they do shots like through the window and through the right side, then from the back seat, and then the close up on the rear view mirror. So it's really creepy. Yeah, I get it. This was a particularly well shot episode. I'm going to say that. We did have some unbelievably nice footage in this episode, and the interviews were cool looking. This was not your standard fare. They did, it was juiced up. Jake likes stuff. Dear Dateline, I adore you. But tonight's three-ding, light-coordinated interviewee intros need to end now. We can just pretend they never happened. Please, thank you. Please otherwise keep doing what you're doing. Love always, me. Oh, Jake's disappointed. (laughs) He's like, let's just pretend it never happened. Uh, Kim from People Are Wild said, gonna need a loop repeat of Keith saying, 
well, you're a human being as part of my daily affirmations. Yeah, I think that's that's true. That's a ringtone. Um, and then talking about the classic Folgers moment with Libby's parents, she said, there is no liquid in either one of those mugs. Prove me wrong. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> um, I almost just did a spit take. I just take it a drink of my monster. Oh, my gosh. Does um, Monster want to sponsor us? That would be great. I'll okay. start drinking it if they will. Okay. Um, Free says, can I be honest? Libby's better than me because I would have handed his A right to the cops. What's the timeline, sir? Yep, that's exactly what time he walked in. <laughs> I mean, truly, like, she had been cheated on all this time. Like, she really could have effed him over with that timeline if she wanted to. I would have been but she didn't technically know at that time what he had done because the cops went over first and they said, what did he come home? What time? We're just looking into some things. And she said, oh, yeah, 515. And then, like, she found out later, like, the next day what he had done. So yeah. um, I Heart Goat said, Lippy not giving a damn about perjury is admirable. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. I Heart Goat. Um, Dateline Dog said, I'm genuinely worried about this defense attorney's blood pressure. Yeah, everyone is. Everyone's worried about his cholesterol levels and is he on Lipitor? Work Right Com said, the big question isn't whether Stephen is innocent or guilty, but how someone who seems so lacking in charisma landed a wife and a boy toy. Yeah, seriously. And a wife that's really pretty and a good looking guy. What's up with his eyebrows? For real, what's up with his eyebrows? I noticed them right away. They're beautiful. They're manicured. They're like a, a sliver at the end. Is I that natural? So. No. Did she do them for him? Is that possible? Like she groomed him? Like she was that kind of wife? No, I don't think so. I don't know. Is that a, I don't is that know a... what's up with them. I don't know. They're just very pretty. They're they're like a lot of the queens on Drag Race, honestly. Hmm. Very good um, eyebrows. Misha said, you just never know who you're sleeping with, honestly. What a nightmare. Her husband looks suspect, though, with those eyebrows. Oh, so everyone noticed the eyebrows. Okay, so it wasn't just me. And I'm not trying to be judgy, like all gay men have perfectly manicured eyebrows. I'm just saying his eyebrows, gay or straight, are very well manicured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No other people noticed. So okay. like, oh, what are they Laura Griswold like? said, this mm -hmm. cop has a better eyebrow arch than I. Yeah, like, what are they supposed to look like? What's the natural eyebrow that he's supposed to have? I don't know. Maybe a unibrow? Okay. Um, that chick you like said, I bet this defense attorney took his cousin to prom. No, oh. I bet this defense attorney didn't go to prom. <laughs> Haley Deanna173 said, Eric, Ed, and the rabbi son Zev. This is starting to sound like a walk into a bar joke. It definitely was. <laughs> it totally uh, is. Jen Bishop, 17. Dear Dateline, this lighting effect in tonight's episode is odd. No need for the extra effects. Keith Morrison is more than enough. Oh. So is Dennis. So is Dennis. Alex Major said, okay, who is in charge of the lighting? Because they were feeling so dramatic this episode. Um, Man, Megan Booseth said, I've missed quite a few Dateline episodes in the past few months. When did we add the new artsy shots of interviewees with the coordinated music and lighting? Oh, boy. Um, and then that's when Dateline producer said, it's a Izar Harpaz special touch, who is the producer. Um, and Mad World said, this is new. <laughs> Anna. Did Christine, anybody like it? 
Anna Christine loved the touch of musical theater with the lights and music in tonight's episode. And Modi said, me too. Okay. Um, Maggie did not like it. She thought it looked B-roll with spotlights on random objects like a Fosse musical with no music. Mm. One singular sensation. <laughs> to- yes, 100%. Toad Bree said, totally loving the new spotlight effects. Katie, Kimberly, please tell me you noticed. Yes, we noticed. One smile and suddenly nobody <laughs> else. <laughs> it felt like anyone was going to tip a hat. They were going to do a tip of the hat. She's the, the one. one. Um, God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. Like, that is what I felt like was going to happen. Okay, so mixed mixed across the board. Some people really liked it. Some people did not. Um, and our last tweet is from Kim from People Are Wild, who said, Zev saying he's not even gay means somewhere Joe Exotic is sending a letter to him with a marriage proposal. Oh, my God. Is that not the truth? <laughs> That's a beautiful way to end this. Is he not Joe's type, too? Oh. He's like a mix between his two husbands. He's uh, perfect. Let me do a side note real quick. Your memes that you've been posting on Instagram, I'm going to give you some props. Thank I you. went through them all yesterday. I was feeling a little hot and sad. <laughs> and I started feeling hot and happy because they were so funny. I was guffawing <laughs> so loudly that my mom came over. And now my mom knows what a meme is. And she was dying. And she's like, these are Kimberly? And no, like, like, I did not I know, make them. I told her. I know. I told her. That I have you been called them. the curator. You're a curator. You're a me. It's exactly what I told her, that you curate these memes. But and she I pick was, and choose which ones, and I pick and choose the order to put them in. And they're so funny. And the uh, the one one of the ones that got me was Bieber out here looking like Joe's exotic next husband. He has his Calvin Klein's like hanging out so low and his tats and the, like. The is anyone is... still a believer at this point? Are we just done with Bieber? Like, I mean, I've been that... done for a long time, but there are probably some people. Um, I don't know. Anyways, but you are just killing the meme game. Guys, check out. I don't know if you're doing it on Twitter. I saw him on Instagram. I am. I, well, I usually tag it through Instagram. So you have to have Instagram, but you can click on them through Twitter and on Facebook. Um, Keep it up. Keep They're bringing people joy. It's hilarious. Like, and they bring me so much joy. I they love it. They brought me so joy. I, people keep sending them to me. Don't be offended if I don't put it up. It's just because I have so many. Um, but they're, yeah, I really am enjoying them. And there's some 90 Day Fiance ones that are really funny. I try to oh, sneak yeah. in. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're so funny. And then the one with um, the Rose looking at her dad. <laughs> yes. Like, please don't let me go to the sleepover. And then the guy with the sign out the window that says, stop posting old travel pics. (laughs) That was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, God, it's good. It's real good. I love it. I'm really so keep sending them. You guys are like the meme people are the true heroes. And I'm not even giving anyone credit because I don't know. They just get floating around. True, first responders are the true heroes. Meme people are the sec, are the backup heroes. And they're doing the kill in the game right now. Yeah, they're, it's bringing me so much joy. Oh, so I'm glad yeah. it brought you joy too. Yeah, um, so thank you, everybody. Um, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash day dateline. And go to um, Apple Podcasts and make sure you're subscribed and leave us a review while you're at it. That's a wonderful way to support the show that is free and it makes a big difference to us. Little, write you. a little review and give us a maybe how many stars you're feeling. And um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Apologies that it takes me a while to get back to people on Facebook. Um, but I usually write back pretty fast on Instagram and Twitter. And um, 
don't watch alone. Watch in your own spotlight that will keep you six feet apart from the next person in their spotlight. Ding! Singular sensation. He had it coming. It's just any musical thing. It's just any yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. But especially Fosse. No, like definitely geared towards Fosse, yeah. I would yeah. say. It's yeah. really good. Cicero. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. And doing this time. Stop yawning. I'm so sorry. I yawned like six times. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not that tired. I'm drinking a monster. And I'm like, <laughs> I think it's because I don't Am have I anything. Am I boring you? No, I don't have anything in front of me to tittle with. Don't A, don't say tittle. <sighs> tittle. B, um, we need to get you a stress ball or something that you could squeeze. Where's maybe. that little thing you gave me? Oh, yeah, I gave that you little, that. But it makes noise. It ticks. It does make a little clicking noise. It does click. But I think Oliver took it. I saw Oliver with it. It's really cool. It's what, how do I recommend that to someone? What is it called? It's like a, it's a little square cube and each side has a different thing that you can like fiddle with. Sorry, I'm saying fiddle, but one is like a wheel you can move your hand on. And one is like, um, rolly clicky things. And one is like a little steel ball that, that you can take in yes, and tick out buttons yeah. that mm-hmm. you can press. And each side has something different. It's really cool. It's um, good. it's like an ADD cube. Yeah.